Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment before the monsters came. Humanoids from the deep dive. Welcome to the new podcast, Humanoids from the Deep Dive, where we dig deep into the meanings and context of your favorite monsters and monster movies. Each episode, we'll see guests and myself give our take on an important movie monster and or film and uh, what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore. Future episodes will also have recommended films and readings for the interested viewer. Uh, today's episode's a little different than the episodes that follow, being the first one. We're going to dig into monsters and their ability to carry meaning more broadly, something they've always done from cave paintings to Gilgamesh to today. Uh, fans of the show can find us on Spotify and iTunes and follow us on Twitter at HFT Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. I'm an entertainment contributor for Forbes on genre film with Bylands and Nightmare on Film Street and Shudders the Bite. And I've co-edited two books on monster media, Alien Philosophy and Stranger Things in Philosophy, as well as having written uh, book chapters on topics like The Devil, Hell, Cloverfield, Frankenstein, Jurassic Park. If it's monsters, I'm obsessed with it and have probably written about it. Uh, I'm especially pleased, though, to introduce two excellent guests for our first episode. Uh, Sazine Kohler is a multiracial Sri Lankan-American scream queen and Frida Kahlo devotee who spends her time writing about film and TV. She's a regular writer about horror and genre topics on Looper and is a film critic for Black Girl Nerds. Uh, she's also an accomplished novelist, including the excellent postmodern feminist horror novel, American Monsters, and the noir urban fantasy crossover Crime Rave. Uh, welcome, Cezine. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So glad you're here. And then W. Scott Poole is a tenured professor of American history at the College of Charleston, South Carolina, he teaches popular courses on America and its monsters. He's a regular contributor to PopMatters.com, an international magazine of cultural criticism, and is the author of several books, including Monsters in America, Our Historical Obsession with the Hideous and the Haunting, and Wasteland, The Great War, and the Origins of Modern Horror. Welcome, Scott. Thanks so much for having me on, Jeff. It's great to be on the first the, the first episode. The first of many, I'm sure. Yeah, I, uh, I really had to think deep for who do I want ideally on my first inaugural podcast episode and you two are awesome i'm a big fan of your work oh that's awesome uh, i'm so honored thank you yeah, me too. <laughs> uh so to start off uh what made you both interested in monsters and their sort of history and meanings Cezine, maybe you start okay um well so for me i think um identity had a lot to do with it um being uh, multiracial. So my mom is a white American. My father's from Sri Lanka, but I actually grew up all over the world since my mom worked for UNICEF when I was growing up. And so for me, it was always uh, kind of a, I related with monsters because they were outsiders and they were these kind of liminal figures who didn't really, they didn't really fit in anywhere. Or they looked different from everyone else around them. And I just, I felt a lot of camaraderie with them. And, um, and then also like moving around a lot was very traumatic. So I think for me, horror movies became kind of a weirdly like a safe comfort place. And then of course, like just having the monsters 
there who I identified with so much. It was something that stayed with me my whole life. And uh, like monsters are my oldest friends. That's something that I've just <laughs> felt like that since I was a little kid. And also I should add that I was watching horror movies way before I should have been. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so like my my entrance to horror, though, was uh, Medusa and Clash of the Titans. Ooh, and I mean, oh, wow. gosh, I saw, I saw that movie when I was like, I must have been three or four. And I just remember that moment so vividly seeing her and Mm -hmm. I wasn't scared of her. I did not find her Mm -hmm. scary. I thought she was the most beautiful person that I had seen and this hybrid monster. So, I mean, for me, that's where it started. Um, Oh, and I was living in Africa at the time. So, yeah. So just put that all together. Being in Zambia, watching Clash of the Titans and falling in love with Medusa. (laughs) Love it. That's my origin story with monsters. Perfect. (laughs) What about you, Scott? Well, um, I also, I, you know, I identify with it, at least the idea of, of monsters being my oldest friends. Um, yeah. I was, um, I, 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 I was kind of the, uh, this is going to show my age, but that's okay. I was, uh, I was kind of the tail end of the, the monster kids, uh, phenomena. Okay. And mm-hmm. so, um, actually my introduction, uh, to monsters was, Saturday afternoons, which in my rural South Carolina community, that's when uh, Shock Theater came on the oh. the Shock Passage, uh, oh, yeah. the Shock Package that had started back in the the fifties and sixties and was still around in in the late seventies and, and and early eighties. And so, you know, it was a really strange uh, uh, thing where you know I was getting to watch everything from the classics like, uh, you know, Frankenstein and Dracula to mm-hmm. you know, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and not really at that time, you know, making much aesthetic uh, distinction uh, but between wow. the value of these things. But then just a, a lifelong horror nerd. I mean, you know, by the 80s, I had pretty fully graduated or as my parents saw it degenerated into a, <laughs> into a, a you know, a Freddy Krueger and, and, and Michael Myers uh, fan in, in particular. Yeah. And so, uh, so it's, a, it's something that's always been with me. And I, you know, after becoming an academic and, and jumping through the, the hoops that academia makes you jump through, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. and finally being able to work on the things I was interested in, you know, I started just kind of wondering, like, is, is, is this something that can be uh, a, a field? Uh, is mm-hmm. this something that I can write about, you know, as as a university professor and maybe also reach like a larger audience? Is this something I can teach mm-hmm. classes about? And, yeah. you know, at, at, at that time, I, I was not really aware um, of uh, the, the fact that, you know, there, there had been for about, you know, at least a decade, uh, going back into the '90s, you know, a a, a real kind of horror scholarship, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting. You know, that was exciting to learn. Um, but I also, you know, I, I I really got into it when I I began to feel that you know so much of what I reading was reading was heavily heavily theoretical kind of. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just wanted to. Um, wanted to talk to uh, to people like you guys uh who uh you know from a lot of different backgrounds that loved monsters as much as i do and try to yeah. figure mm-hmm. out their, their meaning so that's um that that that's how i i ended up on the show yeah 
it's funny. Cause I, I grew up, I was never uh, one of those kids that was taught to believe in Santa Claus or anything like that. Uh, and so for me, some part of me always wanted there to be magic in the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also was born with uh, hydrocephalus. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, when I was a little bit older, I was depressed. I felt like an outsider. I felt strange and all these weird scars from oh. surgeries and stuff. Oh, wow. And oh. I really um, could relate to outsiders and, yeah. and entities that have suffered. And yeah. that's really all that I could relate to. Yeah. And so um, uh, I grew up watching sightings on the sci-fi channel religiously <laughs> and cryptid stuff and a little bit later the x-files was my absolute jam (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and then uh when i was an undergrad uh i was getting a philosophy degree and one of my mentors uh co-edited some pop culture philosophy books and i submitted to one of them and got in uh for terminator and philosophy was my first one and then from there i just you know started writing all these side chapters, even through grad school, um, on the side, I'd write stuff, you know, doing deep dives into Jurassic Park or Frankenstein or mm-hmm. all these different topics. And at a certain point, I realized, like, that's, I like that way more <laughs> than the yeah. stuff that I'm doing in grad school. And then eventually, I just, you know, long story short, I quit grad school and decided, well, I just want to write about movies and then eventually yeah. make them. And that's all I really want to do. Yep. That's yep, funny. that makes a lot of sense. That's awesome. It does. Well, wow. um, it so it sounds like we're we're all essentially monster kids then. So we, we are <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So it's and this is what I love about monsters because they're so personal. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like even if you don't have the same monster interests as someone else, like if you have monsters in common, there's already kind of a shared understanding. And I think a lot of that has to do with like, you know, what we were talking about, about f- like feeling like outsiders or actually being outsiders and looking like outsiders and, and, mm-hmm. and being, you know, having like a marked vision, like visible difference between us and other people. And, um, and so, but how many different shapes that takes, you know, I mean, there's like, gosh, every person that I know who likes monsters likes them for a different reason or has a different mm-hmm. story that goes with it. Mm-hmm. And to me, I don't. I can't really think of something else from stories that has as much of a draw as monsters do. I mean, like even like the horror comedy people, like they're into monsters, but they're into their own kinds of monsters, and it's like, and then they have their reasons for why they need the monsters to be funny. And like, man, it's just every every conversation that I have with someone who's who's in particular into monsters, it ends up becoming so much about so much more than just about the stories our our lives immediately come into it and you saw just how we were talking just now like all three of us it all it was so it's so personal mm-hmm. um and i just think that's incredible just that's that's one of the things about monsters for me that just makes them so marvelous and why i've just been obsessed with them since i was a kid yeah I, so true yeah i i and i think you know you're absolutely right that they're 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 both so incredibly personal and yet um you know they they do give us this like kind of universal language you know to, to mm-hmm. talk in i mm-hmm. mean when you were talking about 
of, you know, Medusa, I saw several iterations of that scene, you know, going back to, you know, Ray Harryhausen and, yeah. uh, and, and forward and, um, and, and knowing, you know, sort of precisely what you meant about, um, the beauty of, um, of something that's, uh, that, that, that is, that is hybrid Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that uh, that combines uh, different things in ways that like, especially when you're a kid, but also if you're an adult, you know, with, with uh, magic in your eyes, you you can still see and experience that. And there's also something really cool about just, um, I, I, you know, I, I love the idea of sort of the, the, the beauty of monsters and I'm I'm always fascinated, um, and this maybe gets into some of the things we'll talk about later on. I'm always fascinated when I talk with someone who who's not able to see that that that. Oh, um, yeah. And it, it's it's, and I, you know, and and I, you know, you obviously you try not to pre prejudge like sort of what that means but -hmm. i've been really interested over the years as i've had like you know different conversations with people the the way in which you know somebody who who kind of rejects horror uh and and monsters out of hand it it, Mm -hmm. it's not always the case but then i also find that like there's other things I really don't want to talk to them about, you know, right. uh, yeah. including politics and uh, uh, the natures of people's identity and, and other sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I love that that notion that you that you brought up about, about the, the beauty that we see. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I feel like for people that really get it too, like, and and I'm sure this is the case for more people than just me. I think if you feel a bit displaced, there's a power mm-hmm. in identifying with monsters. Oh yeah. Like I joke around the house with my. I shouldn't even say this on air because it's kind of dorky, but I will say it because it's my, it's <laughs> our show right now. <laughs> I joke about how like I'm a Babadook, and then three days a month I'm a Babadook werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a werewolf. So um, just because it's just like a dorky joke, but I don't know. There's some power in identifying with creatures that can do things that are magnificent. Yes. Mm. And that can call upon things that, that we might find to be frightening or deformities or weaknesses and to use them as strengths and sources of power. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And, and actually, Scott, I think we might be closer in age than, than you think, because the Harryhausen movies, was that was how I met Medusa. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, my gosh. I was obsessed with his films. beautiful. Image. Oh, I love him. Yeah, it is gorgeous. Oh, and, um, gorgeous. We're talking, I um, actually could just sort of picture, and I, I don't know if you had the same experience when you first saw it, just sort of feeling the the the, the fluid movement of the snakes mm, and mm-hmm. you know, oh, this, this gorgeous woman who oh, at the same wow. time is not exactly a woman um yeah. was in is just crossing all of these different categories and it's just like you know yeah you know I, oh she's i'm in love then, yeah absolutely gorgeous and then and then once i started reading about her and then you learn what her backstory was and that right. she's really she was a, she was turned into a monster to protect her from men, yeah, and right. that's why she turns men to stone because she was assaulted. And I mean, right. oh my gosh, her story is so tragic. And so that even made her more beautiful to me once I learned about all of that. Mm-hmm. And so she's kind of become like, oh, she's definitely become kind of a like a, a deity I mean, for she's me. She's kind of like the archetype. Of she's kind of the archetype for all revenge horror. 
if you think about she it. She is. And it's awesome. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah, she's like the first vagina dentata. She's I mean, she's, yeah. yeah. This is, um, I spit on your grave, mm-hmm, 500 mm-hmm. BC. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh my gosh. She's, oh, I actually, at one point, so I have a, I have a really big head tattoo. And at one point I actually did consider getting snakes tattooed on my head. Uh-huh. Yeah, I really, I really did, but I felt that it might, it might be a little bit too aggressive for what my kind of general look is. Even though I am quite aggressive, but I don't know, something about it didn't really feel, it didn't feel right. But I still might put one up there. Um, but yeah, that was totally one of my ideas to like cover my head with snakes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've had, yeah, I have all kinds of weird horror ideas for that. I endorse it. That's just me, though. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, you know, if you, uh, after this conversation, you might just decide, you know, I'm going to do it. Uh, so, so, you know, yeah, you have, maybe. You have mine and Jeff's endorsement. Yeah. So, <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll back you up. Perfect. Um, so, kind of moving on, uh, just for the audience's <laughs> sake. Um, so, how would you both define what a monster is? Ooh, let's go first for this one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well you wrote a whole your whole book is oh your whole book is about this and yeah. it's i i love how you've done it you may it be humble books, so. but you are straight up an expert so dude yeah okay well let's let, let's give it a shot and you know uh feel free to um as they need to do at the debate the other night to cut my mic uh, <laughs> mr president no not you. <laughs> I go too long. Um, but um, so one of the things uh, about uh, the book Monsters in America is, you know, there, th- I, I knew obviously that there was going to be this expectation that um, as with a lot of books like this, chapter one is going to contain uh, my definition of a monster <laughs> so that we know uh, what it is that I'm up to uh, kind of through, you know, the next 250 pages or, or whatever it is. And um, I consciously chose um, not to give a, uh, a, a sort of set of markers for what a monster is or how I define a monster. Um, I steered away from, um, you know, Jeffrey Cohen's approach Mm -hmm. of um, sort of, you know, the here's the monster theses. This is like what this is a a straightforward definition. And instead, and and this is the kind of the historian side of me, Mm -hmm. I wanted to say, okay, um, what a monster is has been different in every single era. Um, and so I'm, I'm sort of going for the, the, the particular rather than, than the universal, um, what was, what were many people afraid of in the 19th century, as opposed to the 20th, as opposed to the 21st. And then how did that, um, interact with ideas about race, ideas about gender, uh, ideas about sexuality, ideas about social class. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, kind of what I came up with, and I didn't put it quite this way um, in the book, is that, you know, it, it's kind of become this, uh, I think, a little bit sort of overused trope of, um, you know, the monsters are really us and, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that kind of, you know, that kind of idea. Instead, you know, my, my notion is a little bit more like, 
every you know every century and every particular moment in American history, I think in global history too, kind of get gets the monsters that it asks for, and mm-hmm. and gets the monsters that it deserves in some ways. Um, actually, going back to my earlier comment about you know, conversations with people about whether they like monsters or, or not. Many people who are sort of resistant to the idea of, of, of horror, as you get to know them a little bit better, um, you find out that they're also afraid of uh, a lot of things, afraid mm-hmm. of uh, different kinds of people, mm-hmm. um, politics that don't match theirs, parts yeah. of the world that they have trouble navigating for in, in different ways. So uh, I, I guess my focus is less on the monster and, you know, in, in terms of defining it than what it tells us when a society is fearful mm-hmm. about a, a, about a particular thing, at least. And when they see monsters, not as beautiful as we've been talking about, but as, yeah. as predatory mm-hmm. and, and, right. and as dangerous. Oh man, that's awesome. I could listen to you talk about this all day for <laughs> real. Um, well, unfortunately, I can talk about it all day. <laughs> yeah, I think it is interesting to kind of pick up on something that you said, how you mentioned that every sort of generation has their own monster, so to mm-hmm. speak. It's so interesting if you look at different eras of, for example, monster films and the sort of issues they were preoccupied with. Like, I mean, obviously you have like the nuclear monsters of the 50s um, and the kaiju films that came out of that. But like before that... The Universal Monsters, it's really interesting to look at that era because most of most of the motivation for many of them, not all, but many of them, were they just wanted love. They wanted to participate in what we would consider at that time your standard human relationship, you know, mm-hmm. like Frankenstein right. was lonely and yeah. wanted a mate. Uh, the mummy right. wanted a mate. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, arguably, Pitch from Black Lagoon may have, but it didn't speak, so it's hard to attribute Rhoda, but probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, it's 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 fascinating because yeah, monsters are like we were talking about them earlier about being so personal, but monsters are also so political. Yeah. And I think for me, it's that, and I know it sounds very second wave feminism, and that's really over, but the. The one thing that I love from second wave feminism is the idea that the personal and the political, well, they intersect, right? Mm -hmm. And the personal is political and the political is also personal. And so when you look at different monsters, you, you see this dynamic all the time. And I mean, I feel like you could almost do like a tarot reading, depending on like what kind of monsters people like, because Mm -hmm. you could tell so much about their background. Um, Like, like what Scott was saying about, you know, what are they, what are they scared of? What, what kind because every horror person has some horror movies that they don't they won't watch yeah. you know there's every single person has that and and that also it it tells you so much but at the same time even when looking at the movies that we don't want to watch like for example i'm really not into the ones with like a lot of torture and gore and all of that mm-hmm. but you know you're looking you look at the, at how zombies have evolved over the years i mean it follows the political trajectory almost exactly and, you know, from the slow moving ones to the fast moving ones. And like now we've got the whole debate about that. And all of that is political, mm-hmm. you know. So it's to me, that's that's just one of the most incredible things about horror. But I also feel like when it comes to monsters, for me, a big thing about what defines a monster is that it's an other and an other with a capital O. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so when when I think about it in terms of that, 
you know, monsters can be humans, monsters can be creatures, they can be aliens, they could be they could be any number of thing, but the, the for me the defining factor is the fact that they are they're somehow separate. Mm-hmm. And or they're or they're perceived as separate, even if they aren't actually separate, they're perceived as such. And then and then how does the dynamic build from there? Yeah, I um, yeah, I, I don't. I, I I was trying to think when you were talking about you know what what monsters will I not watch and what what sort of subgenres will I not watch and mm-hmm. um, really difficult to think. <laughs> To think of any, um, I used to get in trouble for um, having uh, Fangoria magazines uh, right. in, in my room. So, so the the gore stuff has never bothered me. There, there okay. has been, um, and you know, this is a, a rather lot. I guess these are the movies I would not watch. Essentially, anything produced by Cinestate. Yeah, um, yeah, okay. Concrete. These purposefully reactionary. Right. Films that, um, you know, are um, essentially kind of Trump era, you know, propaganda, which goes back to your important point that um, uh, as as with everything in mass culture and and really as with with everything, uh, you know, monsters are inherently political. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I loved your tarot card uh, example, because I think that we can tell a lot about, you know, sort of. Not, not just the monsters that they, they, that someone would pick, but the ones you know that that they might reject. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because like for me, the the demon possession stories. Oh boy, those are the ones that I really, I I have a hard time with those. And I again, I saw The Exorcist when I was way too young, mm. and actually, I might have actually been, I might have even been Regan's age when I saw it. Yeah. And I'm very sensitive, so I, even at at a young age, I was already kind of like picking up on a lot of things that were going on around me that other people didn't think that I would notice, but I noticed everything. And so the idea that something could get inside me like that, yeah. I felt very, it made me feel very vulnerable. Like it felt like it could happen to me. And even now I'm, you know, I'm almost 42 and I watch those movies and I really like, I have my candles around me. I, I have little mantras that I say. And, and a lot of times now I just will turn it off because I get, I just get so scared. Yeah. And that, those are the, and those are the one thing that scare me. Like I'll watch, I can, I can watch torture stuff. I don't like it, but I, I can get through it fine. Right. But it's yeah. the, it's the demon. Oh man. The demon possession stuff. Ooh. I can do the demon stuff sometimes. Oh, but the genre man. that I wouldn't even say that scares me, but I just don't get as much out of is standard slashers don't do anything for me oh oh they're my favorite i love them I love some. Like, I love Halloween <laughs> and i love like you're next and some of the home invasion ones are really good but i tried doing a watch of the friday the 13th ones and i'm just like i don't oh. know why it didn't do anything for Fate me isn't so oh my gosh <laughs> jason's my man <laughs> uh, yeah well and, and also I, I i think that you know, one thing, if, if you were with the Friday the 13th films, um, I think that, you know, if you didn't sneak into the theater and see them or, or watch them on VHS, yeah, um, the the special effects, uh, especially in high def, mm-hmm. uh, are are just not as convincing um, as, as they used to be. I think that's fair. Um, we, yeah. we, we were absolutely, con- my friends and I were absolutely convinced that an actor we had never heard of before named Kevin Bacon had been <laughs> killed <laughs> in Friday the 13th part one mm-hmm. because 
how else did Tom, like, how did Tom Savini do that? You yeah. Know? Although that was going back actually to a point that you made, uh, Jeff, about like kind of, you know, thinking about sort of the magic in the, in, in the world. One of the great things about um, Pangoria was uh, back in the eighties mm. is uh, that you would watch these films and be like, Oh my God, I just saw somebody killed. And then, right. uh, but then you would actually learn about, Hey, there was this guy named Tom Savini and, um, this is how he did it, you know, and yep. it's like stuff that was like sitting around your house that mm-hmm. this, you know, absolute, like, you know, um, hundred percent genius was yeah. able uh, to turn into just a, a really con- convincing scare. Oh, and, and, yeah. and it yeah. turned out Kevin yeah. Bacon was fine, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier about politics, I mean, Savini, he learned what dead bodies looked like because he was in, he was a war photographer yes. in the Vietnam War. And so the stuff that he saw, you know, he, he brought all of that trauma from the war back with him. And then he put it on screen in a way that no one had ever seen it before. And I, I think in, in that context, he did such a service to people. I mean, I remember one of the things I saw some documentary, I think it was about, um, the Romero films, and mm-hmm. he mentioned about how it was bothering him so much when people, uh, uh, it was bothering Savini so much when people would die on screen and their eyes would close. And he was yeah. like, that's not how people die. And so, what, you know, so like a detail like that, you hear it and it's like, you know, you might not even notice it when you're watching one of Savini's films, but those details are there. And I feel like that's one of the things that, that brings me constantly back to the Friday the 13th movies. Um, because it's not necessarily what's on screen, but it's like how it got there. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and each movie is so different. I, I, that's my, that's really, that and Scream are my two favorite slasher franchises. And, um, okay. but Friday the 13th is, you know, that was my first, that was my first favorite. So that's always going to have, Jason always has a special place in my heart. Um, yeah, for for me, I think it's, um, and, and I, I, I actually do love, um, uh, uh, Jason and and his mom, but yeah, but uh, but yeah. but yeah, for me it was it was uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, uh, I love it. Uh, lost interest after that a little bit, um, but right. um, but definitely uh, uh, Halloween. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And a lot of that was yeah. um, kind of a fascination with. Um, I mean, I think actually uh, Halloween. Thinking back, you know, as as a, a, a teenager, when I was, I, I I didn't, I wasn't old enough to see it in the theater. So I was, you know, like a lot in our generation saw it on VHS. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and you know, I was. It, it's kind of like it's such an inventive film, uh, yeah. and obviously John Carpenter's, you know, an incredible filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe my first experience, like. Kind and I stress kind of because you know you're talking about a 16 year old, but <laughs> uh, kind of reading a film like yeah. um, you know sort of getting a sense that oh you know um, that was a I didn't put it this way but like you know that tracking shot scared me because right. you know mm-hmm. uh, combined with Jamie Lee Curtis, which is I think yeah. a really important part of the, the the slasher tradition is is just that, um, and I I have kind of a different view on this than than, than many commentators about it. But I, I just really think that you know um, I don't agree with Carol Clover, for example, that that the final girl is a kind of a stand-in for 
for for a male experience. I, I I think the Final Girl is is really kind of you know some of the first in American culture uh, female action heroes, and, yeah. and that's mm-hmm. something that we've gotten you know kind of used to. But you know when when you're a certain age, you you remember a time when um, you know. Jamie Lee Curtis fighting back in that closet with a bent hanger and, um, you know, Heather Langenkamp, um, getting a special forces manual and, you know, (laughs) this weird, uh, home alone thing thing with, with Fred, like that was strange. Like you Mm -hmm. didn't No, that's actually one thing that I really love about, uh, I love Halloween, uh, big carpenter fan in general. And it's funny too, because, uh, it kind of those movies or like you're next. I always loved as a later film, but I just love how the protagonist you, you see her initially as some grad student who's kind of overshadowed. And then when, when stuff goes down though, she goes into full like guerrilla warfare mode and has this wealth of skills and is completely a complete badass in a lot of the ways that Heather is or, um, or Laurie Strode. And it really does um, literally turn the tables that they can go from characters that at face value, we would see as mousy. And then when you actually get to know them, they can hold their own against like masses of killers or supernatural beasts, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I think the chick in, in um, your next, wasn't she like a survivalist or something? I think, didn't she mention yeah. at some point that, yeah. And I think that's, I think that's so cool too, because what we were talking about with politics earlier, you know, there, we have a segment of people out there right now who are in bunkers training their families for like whatever thing they think is coming. And to see her come out of that bunker and then end up in this fancy house and then get set upon and then watching those skills actually come to use is like, I don't know, that kind of made me feel a lot of different complicated things. Because yeah. it's like, I, I felt she was traumatized, mm-hmm. you know, she already came from this traumatized background. And then to be re-traumatized in that way, like, oh man, that movie. Yeah, I had a, I had a little panic attack watching that. I remember having to pause it for a second because I just, yeah, I got very, I very, very much connected with her and. So this is, and see, this is another thing that happens with me is that sometimes when I connect with a character on screen, I actually start like feeling their pain in my body, um, which is why like I'm really not a huge fan of like torture stuff because especially if I like the person who's in the movie, watching bad things happen to them, like I'll, I'll, I've really, I will physically have pain. Hey, human empathy is and, amazing. Uh, oh, <laughs> it's sometimes it's really creepy. Like sometimes I'll have bruises. Like it's oh, like watching damn. John, Wick, like watching John Wick movies. Oh my gosh, like. I mean, that's a totally separate story, but me and Keanu have a whole thing too. But I mean, really, like I'll have bruises afterwards because I'm so tense from whatever's happening. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, The Chicken, You're Next, like for me, that was, there is so much going on in that film. And it all the way from like the politics of her upbringing and the trauma of that, the child abuse of that. Mm-hmm. And then of course, like meeting this wealthy family and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm about to like, I'm, I've made it, right? I'm like out of my survivalist thing. Things good. Things will be like, good. Yeah, like I've like I'm out. The light is here, and then to have to go all the way back again and like regress in a way. Oh, it was kind of yeah. That's kind of a heartbreaking movie. Mm-hmm. It is, and and uh, it you know it it's kind of become a little bit of a of a of a subgenre mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of films like this. Yeah. Although some of the more interesting ones, 
I think also don't, I, I recently saw uh, Samara Weaving in um, uh, Ready or Not. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yep. That's um, another and, one. And yeah. The film um, that's uh, I saw it on Shutter. Uh, uh, Revenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so what's interesting to me about these is that, um, and and I think there's a lot going on here politically, but yeah. the, the women are 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 not from sort of survivalist backgrounds, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, there's not an explanation given to yeah. it or why they're suddenly able uh, to, uh, to, to survive. And I, I think it's very interesting that um, they are, uh, to use a term my students use uh, all the time, they're sort of these basic white women mm-hmm. who are, who are yeah. put in these situations yeah. uh, in, and, and, and are, are fighting in in the case of revenge, quite literally fighting uh, misogyny, uh, yeah. sexual assault. Yeah. Um, Samara Weaving's fighting for her life. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and also the the background of getting caught up in this kind of wealthy family that is you know as much a death cult as yeah. like yeah. most wealthy families. And, oh my and God! So you know, um, I, I I don't know everything about what's going on with that. I, I I've been thinking about it as these movies have been coming out, but um, you know, I, I, I so many of them are post twenty sixteen, um, and yeah. uh, I think something is happening there in terms of. I hope something's happening there with, you know. Um, white women, white people who maybe have felt in the past that their uh, privilege has protected them, um, that the water will not come up to their door uh, in some ways. And, and, and I, I, I don't know if that's what's happening, but um, it it is a very interesting subgenre that, that has emerged in, in horror. No, it it is. And actually I have a, I have kind of a strange theory about revenge actually like kind of, yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So do you guys remember when she eats the apple and she leaves it on the counter and then ants start crawling all over it? Okay. Sure. So, so where they are is, um, is Hopi land. And those, okay. those guys are, you know, murder tourists. They're there to kill animals. They're right. out to hunt and it's native land. It's, it's sovereign native land. That's been, that's been stolen um, by the American government. So so what happens is, I think, um, she leaves the apple there and the spirits of the land um, in the form of the ants accepts her offering. And when she dies, they bring her back to get revenge on them. So it's not just her revenge, it's the revenge of the land as well. So huh. that's, that's, that's my, I, that's my I'm theory. Go back and watch it. I, I, I'm sorry to say I completely missed all of that. <laughs> All of that. So, I'm, I'm weird. I'm I'm really weird. Well, no, so. <laughs> and you know, though, honestly, though, it, it makes sense just in the very broad horror tradition because mm-hmm. you know, as 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 uh, um, Colin Dickey and in Ghostland and some of his other work is written really well about you know it, it the 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 idea of um, you know the the house is haunted because it was built on an an, an you know, quote unquote, Indian burial ground. Right. That, that always works because um, everything is built on an Indian burial ground in the United States. 
It yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, that, yeah. that, that makes sense to me. I'm just going to, I, I just completely missed it. <laughs> so I'm going to well, it's so, yeah, it's, it's so good. I mean, because the ants, um, you know, for the for Hopi, they represent um, the people who. So there's four worlds, right? So in 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 Hopi religion, there have been um, four worlds, and in at the end of each one, the humans go underground, and the ants are the ones who help keep them alive. And that's why ants have small waists because they've given up parts of their their food in order to keep people alive and then when it's safe the ants will let people know that they can come back up to the surface again and so that's why i figured like with the ants covering the apple and leaving you know in in native culture in almost i would say in almost all of them there's there's traditions of leaving food out as an offering mm-hmm. to the spirits of the land to your ancestors to you know just as as to say thank you for letting me be here on your space and so her leaving that apple there to me um well, it, it was it was an offering that the land accepted, and then when the bad things happened to her, the land they they helped her back. Um, so it's also kind of interesting too, because that's kind of a rebirth myth in a significant way, and mm-hmm. it's also interesting that she kind of like upgrades, if you will, when she like yeah. sears yeah. her wound with that phoenix yeah. beer can in the cave yeah. and leaves yeah. that like scar phoenix scar on her, and at yeah. that point on, she's like a terminator. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. I, I think she's a zombie. Honestly, I don't even think she's human anymore. I think that she's okay. gone into another into another state. Because it um, does look like, if I remember yeah. right, just from memory, because uh, she has like this, she passes out of oh, the she cave, did. passes out, quote she unquote, and then has this weird, almost supernatural vision, mm-hmm. and then wakes up this like murder machine. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And I would but I mean, the, the Phoenix uh, symbology, bringing the monsters back. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, as I'm thinking about it too, so uh, part part of the emergence of the of the cave moment, also, mm-hmm. you know, we were introduced to her as, um, you know, um, sort of supermodel arm candy for you know the, this 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 rich bro i mean i don't want to say that but yes uh, so, oh, I, I have a stronger word but i won't say it so, <laughs> an individual of low value worth. <laughs> so, when she becomes the terminator version of, mm-hmm. of herself um you know, she's sort of drenched in mud yeah. and mm-hmm. every kind of heteronormative conception of beauty is, is gone. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, that is kind of underscored by, um, you know, the, the just in, incredibly explosive violence that, yeah. that she's capable of, mm-hmm. which, oh, uh, which they deserve. And they did. Which, which women are incredible. They deserved it. Oh my God. I love that movie. I I love I love that part of those films and that film in particular. I'm like, oh, you're getting what you deserve, and I'm here for it. And actually, that's another thing I liked about how because it's a woman who made that film, and it's really mm-hmm. fascinating when women do rape revenge as compared to men. Yeah. the female gaze is so different. I mean, her her yeah. assault you, it's it happens kind of off screen. Yeah, we don't see it. You know what's happening. You can hear her. But it's the way that it's done. It the, it doesn't lose any of the like the horrible right. grotesque power and, of that act. And there isn't but any don't sexualization to... of that moment. Yeah, like it's not yeah. voyeuristic. Exactly. Like you, who, nobody needs to see that anymore. I'm sorry if you don't know what this is. Then like, 
I don't know what to tell you, but like, nope, it does not need to be on screen anymore. There's plenty of examples of it. We know what it looks like. You know, a lot of people have been through it themselves. We don't need to see it. Like just full stop. That's it. And so I feel like when women, a lot of times when women take on rape revenge, it's so much more satisfying for me because you don't have to witness that horrible thing that you know what it looks like. You know Mm -hmm. what it sounds like. It's just unimaginable horror. And why do, we, why do we need to put an actress through that? Why does the director need to... Why do people need to see that? We don't. We just don't need to see it. So mm-hmm. I really love revenge for that aspect too, that we, that yeah. it, it can be... It can still... like that. The act can have that horrible power that it has, but we don't have to witness it. And I think there's just... There's so many ugly things we're witnessing all the time and even in, you know, in, in horror movies too, but like this... The act of rape itself, I think, is just something different, you know? Yeah. Um, Sure. Yeah. yeah. I um. This actually reminds me of we, we, we were talking about the the early slashers and mm-hmm. and the final girl and um with all the focus on Carol Clover's work over the years, which is is pretty extraordinary. Um, th- there's this great book um that um I I I don't hear about a lot and that kind of got uh, passed over. Uh, it's it was by a scholar uh, named Christina Pinedo. Um, and, uh, it's called recreational terror. Um, and their response to horror films. And she has the most interesting reading of, um, what, uh, women in the 1980s were bringing to, to slasher films. And one of the things that she says, and it's, um, much more nuanced than this is that, um, some of the fear was not about what Michael Myers was going to do or what Freddy Krueger was going to do. Some of the fear was that they were watching a film maybe for the first time in their lives, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, teenage women Mm -hmm. in the 1980s. Yeah. In which a woman was being allowed to engage in extreme violence (laughs) against, you know, a male figure right um and you know now that you know because we have films like revenge because we have films like um you know uh uh the the samar weaving thing and Mm -hmm. and other stuff it i i don't know if we quite grasp the 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 power of women being able to 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 do violence to Mm. to to their predator yeah um and and how sort of scary that would be if you know your baby boomer parents from the you know uh, that carried you know very traditional ideas from the fifties and notions about how you know women ought to behave and how they ought not to behave. Right. Um, and and watching these movies, you know, at a time when you know for, you know for, you know for Christ's sake, I mean, in the nineteen eighties. Um, marital rape had not even been made illegal. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I mean it's yep. that's in the yep. 1990s that there's there's yep. precedence even for that. So, yep. um, I mean, Absolutely. it just kind of shows you, you know, the 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 I think the 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 power of of of, of horror to um to 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 unleash some of these things that you would never imagine a, a mainstream film, you know, taking yeah. taking on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One thing I do want to get to, um, I'd love to hear both of your takes on people that don't necessarily have like a, 
deep bench of background in in watching you know creature features monster films analyzing these things repeatedly uh, might find it unfamiliar to think of how monsters have meaning mm-hmm. and how they have symbolism and i'd yeah. love to talk about your takes on why like how they have meaning and why it's important to understand those meanings i i, I think that they should read our books <laughs> fully endorse that that's actually that's a, that would be a good start honestly because i mean mine it's it's um it's a series of vignettes that the first part is written as like a as a horror comic um mm-hmm. and then the second part is a horror movie and then the third part is um, as a series of essays that all go into kind of feminist mm-hmm. theory, female gaze, um, and monsters. And then Scott's is, you know, the historic roots of monsters mm-hmm. in America and going all the way back. So, like, I think between both of our books, it's you get a really, really, really deep look at, at monsters and monster significance, like mm-hmm. from two completely different perspectives mm-hmm. that really go well together, though, I think. Um, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons that, um, that I've always, that I've admired your work for a while. And, and I actually also along the, the, the same lines would recommend, uh, a, a extraordinary uh, graphic novel by uh, Emil uh, Ferris. Uh, my favorite Ooh. thing is monsters. Mm. Uh, oh yeah. Which, um, both introduces sort of, here's why someone who feels outcasts for various reasons might be attracted to them and find the monster a friend, but then it also intersects the story of monsters and ideas of monsters from, you know, everything from good grief, the, the the history of Weimar Germany to Mm -hmm. Chicago in the late sixties to, um, awesome. you know, uh, racism and uh, particularly anti-Latinx uh, racism mm-hmm. in, uh, in America. It's just an extraordinary graphic novel that oh, I, cool. I think anybody that I, I, I think that's one of the books I would say, hey, somebody said, how do I how do I figure out like why this matters, <laughs> you know, kind of. And I, I actually have yeah. used it in, uh, it in in classes, and 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 students love it, find it immediately accessible, and and then yeah. also I think just kind of come away understanding, you know, if 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 they they didn't grow up watching horror films, or you know, um, there's always that yeah. shocking three or four students that show up in my classes that are on the first day are like, you know, I actually just really don't like horror at all. <laughs> I was, I was oh. Wow, you're in absolutely the wrong place. But like, um, how do you yeah. respond to that? I, I I don't even know what I would say. Like, well, why yeah. are you why are you here? Why are you talking to me? Yeah. You know, I, um, that's tough. I and, don't know. Um, I, I I often oh. do. Uh, so one of the things that I do, you know, to kind of get people talking on the first day is is. Um, it, you know, it just tell tell us who you are and and tell us who who what your favorite horror movie, TV show, uh-huh. uh, whatever mm-hmm. you know is. Right. And so it always comes around to to somebody that um, will say, I, I don't really have one because honestly, I don't really like horror. And the interesting thing is, I often don't have to say anything because their their follow up is something along the lines of that that's kind of why I'm here. Like I'm trying mm-hmm. to figure this out. This okay. is something that like 
you know, our culture is <laughs> seems to be obsessed with. All my yeah. friends mm-hmm. are, are obsessed with. Um, and 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 so that's interesting, and it also gets into some of the debates, which I'm sure we don't have time for. Where um, you know they'll often say, you know, "I've had this is just one example, but it's just come up maybe six times in 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 classrooms." A student will say, "You know, I really love." Um, Silence of the Lambs and kind of like the Silence of the Lambs verse, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know, is like, is that horror? Like, do you consider, you know, oh, that, kind of whole, that whole thing? <laughs> uh, and so, you know, and, and I always love that, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like, wow, we got a lot to talk about this, yes. this semester. There's all kinds of things. Because, you know, um, I think one of... Um, one of the reasons that um, that uh, that 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 Korea is kind of eating our lunch in terms of producing great horror mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay. mm-hmm. films is that uh, there's not these kind of strict lines between genres. Yeah. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, so that like the question of you know is is Parasite a horror film? Like at times in scenes, it's horror. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and so I think that that's uh, I, I, that's a, is obviously a whole other discussion. Right. But I think yeah. it's 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 interesting in the way that, and of course, genre is related to marketing, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yes. mm-hmm. United States, that's sort of what it's all about. Yeah, so. the the sounds of lambs discussion is really interesting to me too, because not to go too far afield, but uh, it my usual first comment is that the distinction between like a psychological thriller and a horror film is pretty much meaningless and very yeah. subjective. I think so too. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. because there are some where I'm like, okay, a lot of David Fincher thrillers, like is seven a horror film? Maybe yes. that one is. Yeah. Maybe that one is. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> it is. Watch it again. Yes, Watch it yeah. again in HD and you will not argue with me about this. Yeah, oh, like I would say that, that one is, you know, I think that's an interesting discussion, but yeah, I, I, I think also one thing that we, um, in our kind of genre fascinations, I, uh, we've also just a little bit lost sight, you know, uh, the, as a culture of, uh, that genre is really a rel- relatively new, you know, mm-hmm. idea yeah. in so many ways. And so, yeah. um, you know, borrowing sort of thinking about older notions about, you know, sort of what counts as, the, the the stories that um that that disturb us right um, that's a that's obviously a very very broad category it's kind of funny because uh just to think about that because to 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 define genre cinema it's often treated as though well okay here's here are films and dramas and comedies and then here's all this weird stuff off to the side that you know <laughs> you can like it's kind of minor, whatever. The first yeah, right. few recorded human writings, what, were we to apply a genre to them now, were genre writings. Epic poems right. had monsters and horror moments yeah. and romance and right. not tons of comedy, but they definitely had action. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gilgamesh is arguable like, superhero horror fantasy. Oh, oh, definitely. You can definitely see that. And I mean, any culture you go to in the world, there are monsters. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's almost like monsters are where it's all started. And so I think, 
you know, if as humans, I think we're always looking for meaning, right? Um, I well, maybe not all of us anymore. I feel like I feel like that used to be a thing, but these days I'm not so sure. But, you know, there, for those of us who are searching for meaning, um, for those of us who think meaning matters anymore, you know, like oh gosh, what has this world done to me? Um, yeah, it's so it's weird. And again, talking about like how politics affects our perception of monsters. I mean, my gosh, I don't even know what's true anymore half the time when I get on look at the news. Mm-hmm. But you know, but, but that you know that that aside, um, as we look for meaning, you know, in our lives and where we fit in society and all of that, I I think most people at some point or another have felt like they didn't quite know exactly what was going on and that they weren't really part of what they thought they were part of, even if they might even if they might not like necessarily look like they are. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think, I don't know, I think for monsters, like the draw is that they can be completely different and they can also look just like us. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there's just so few things that are both at once. It's like, it's like, um, you know, it's like quantum physics of identity or something that mm-hmm. it's, it's two simultaneous things that are contradictory, but they're, they're happening at the same time in the same moment. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I think, what's so cool about monsters is that there's this inherent tension in them. And that's the tension, like trying to figure out what is that tension and why is it making me feel a certain way and this other person a completely different way? And then trying to figure out what it is mm-hmm. that it's uh, what, what it's doing. Like, I think monsters are very active. And so your like engagement with monsters is it's I don't think it's a passive thing for any of us who love them. It's mm-hmm. we're constantly looking to see, like, what is it about this particular monster that I'm really frightened by, or this one, like everyone else is scared by this monster, but I don't find them scary. I find them sad, like, you know? And so then it's, we're parsing, we're parsing the meaning as we try to understand a figure that like is so many things all at once. Right. And yeah, and that's, oh, right. I mean, that's what, that's what I love about them. That's I think that's what all three of us Absolutely. love about monsters is, I mean, we could literally probably sit here the whole rest of the day and not even miss a beat. Like we'll get hungry at some point, yeah. but you know, that'll be what that'll, that'll be what ends the conversation. It's like, dude, I'm about to faint with hunger. Like, I got to go now. Right. <laughs> we should all do a Zoom happy hour at some that point. In awesome. Oh, my God. That I would love really that. Really that would be my favorite uh, thing. Use all the words we want to use. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> it's so interesting, too, because, yeah, like, because they're multifaceted and there's so many aspects like uh, when I, you know, was doing pop culture philosophy chapters, um, for each individual monster, there's different aspects. There's so many that you could look at, but to yeah. gather the meaning that, I mean, there's a lot of right answers really, but to gather the meaning that speaks to you, for some monsters, it's, you know, the, the, the beasts, the, the creature's nature, you know, or its behavior, or or the attributes of its physical body, but for some it's a social context and its origins. You know, there's so many different yep. aspects to look at to gather that multi-layered meaning. Absolutely. Yeah. The thing about like one of the things about the xenomorph is is that it it penetrates your face and impregnates you with a thing that kills you by bursting out of your chest. Yep. Oh, I love that queen. Oh, she's she's so beautiful. She's another one of my the xenomorph queen. Oh, she's is... my another one of my favorites. I oh I love her. She's a good mom too. She's a great mom. mom. She takes she takes care of her kids. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Uh, one really warm memory I have is um, <laughs> so uh, for my um, before my mom passed away years ago, 
Um, she knew that I loved horror movies and she, they weren't really her thing, but she loved spending time with me. So when I would come over and she'd have like TiVo'd horror films and then she'd stay up late and watch them with me, even though they weren't her thing. And one of the ones, it was very sweet. And one of the ones we watched that I remember was Aliens. And it was so nice to watch maybe the best horror film about motherhood other than the Babadook. Oh. My <laughs> and it was and Psycho. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Had she seen it before? I don't think she had. I mean, it was, wow. it came out when I was born. Oh. So it could have, she could have, but I don't think she saw it before. Okay. Wow. Like, well, that's a that's a great memory. Yeah. You can connect oh. with people over these meanings. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And oh, and so sweet that she decided that even though she didn't like it, that she was just going to like give it a go because just because you liked it. Yeah, I never asked her to do that. She was just just lovely. Oh. Yeah, so there's that. See, horror is community. Horror is family. Horror is bonding, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that's what that's yeah, that's monsters. That's what our monsters do for us. I mean, gee, look how look how we met. Like we all three met from monsters. I mean, that's exactly what brought us all together. I know other people do this with like sports and stuff, but like if you listen to people talking about sports, it doesn't sound like this. Right. It just it really doesn't. You know, they yeah. talk about other things that are very specific about plays and this and that, but there's no there's really no bigger talk about like, well, why is it a ball? And why is it a goal? Like, why, where did this come from? Why is it, why is it played like this? Like, they don't, they don't ask those questions about it because they don't really have to, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I totally agree. You know, it's, I, I almost feel like it sometimes that it, it's more like people coming together over a, a shared religion. Right. Than, than even say, you know, if uh, friends that you make because of a commonality of politics, you know, for example, yeah. or or love of sports or love of, you know, whatever, whatever it happens to be. And yeah. except that, you know, <laughs> I, I think that like in, in some ways it, it can, it, 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 monsters are even a, 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 a more important community building um, uh, language because uh, so many of these questions that we're talking about in relation to like th- movies that we love, they're, they're really kind of abstract and conceptual <laughs> questions mm-hmm. that go really, really deep into, you know, the heart of, of things. And so sort of unlike at least some re- expressions of religion, there's not sort of just answers, you know, that right. we all agree on. And that's the reason why we can sit around and, and, and bond over, um, the, the monsters that we love totally. and, and and for future episodes you know the format will be digging deep into specific monsters and, and films but my stance on it is that there's not going to be one right way of interpreting these things like maybe for one particular film someone's more interested in the themes pertaining to gender but but i'm more interested in themes pertaining to the environment those are both useful mm-hmm. perspectives if, if that actually does relate to the work. You know, it's, it's so complicated. There are mm-hmm. multiple right answers. Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, and like what we were talking about earlier with monsters being you know, multifaceted creatures, it's so often we have to choose one thing to talk about. Like if I'm writing an essay about a movie, I can't necessarily write about every single thing that I see in the monster. I've got, I've got to focus. Yep. I mean, as much as I would want to, um, you know, that's just like not how it works. So I, so being able to 
explore. I mean, that's what I love about your, the idea for your podcast is that being able to explore like one character and really doing a deep dive into all of the different things that it represents to different people. I mean, no one's really done anything like that yet. And I think it's just so, so it's going to be such a valuable resource. Um, you know, yeah. And, you know, the, the other the other thing I wanted to, to say really quick was, um, you know, when we were talking about how monsters are kind of community building and all that, I think one of the things about it that's so fascinating and that sets the monster community apart from others is, well, we get together because we we all will talk about what we're afraid of, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like a really amazing kind of vulnerability that comes with being part of the horror community because we all admit that we're scared and that there are things that mm-hmm. scare us and we are very open about what those things are. And I mean, you know, for me, one of my one of my favorite aspects of monsters is kind of how monsters are born of trauma. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, when you're talking about how monsters get born of trauma, well, you end up talking about your own trauma. It ends up, you know, getting other people comfortable to talk about their traumas and and um, other things that they've related to because because of specifically because of their trauma and how their trauma changed them or what they saw reflected. And I think that makes it a really kind of um there's a kind of intimacy in the horror community that I don't really see in other in other communities just for this fact that like we're all like, hey, we're all a bunch of people, we're all scared. We're all scared of something. So like, what are you scared of? And then we just start. We just start. Like for some people, it takes them years to even admit they're scared of something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like in relationships, people don't want to admit that they're afraid or yeah. that something that something frightens them or or that they saw something that really like made them have bad dreams. Like people don't want to admit that because then it means that like we're not all powerful. And I think that's what's so cool about horror fans is that and the monster kids is that we're we're really open about all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, we're going to talk about fear today. Cool. Like, let's get in it. Like, what are you afraid of? Great. Awesome. That is scary. Yeah. Me too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, and so much of what we are, you know, just as, as a community and then as individuals, well, you know, mm-hmm. watching, reading and, and, and thinking about, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it is, it's ultimately an iconography of death. Yes. Mm-hmm. I should have used that podcast okay. title. <laughs> so, so that 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 does you know take us to a place where you know we're talking about our deepest traumas, both with the mm-hmm. experience of of the death of of our loved ones, as, as you shared, Jeff, and 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 yeah. also this the recognition recognition of of our own mortality. Yeah. And um, you know, th- this is not a thing, people. <laughs> People, you know, this does not make you popular at parties uh, to, uh, to bring this kind of thing up. Um, take it from me. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Second that I, I'm, I'm, I'm that person too. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Someone's like, yeah, someone's just like living life being like, Woo! and you're like, um, excuse me. I, I think you need to get off the roof because we're all mortal. You're mortal. And we will be forever traumatized. If you smash yourself on the pool and they're like, go home, Jeff. Right. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> and also that scene was in, you know, we know that scene was in nightmare on Elm street part four and how mm-hmm. that, so yeah, we so. know how that went, man. Don't do it. Don't yeah, do don't it. Never. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think that yeah, it's it's a it's it's a willingness to discuss trauma. It's willing mm-hmm. to you know uh, face you know sort of the 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 king of fears and and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I yeah I, I I definitely think that that's true. I think it's part of the reason. Although you know as I alluded to earlier by 
mentioning a specific production company. Mm -hmm. uh, it yeah. is true that we we have problems, but in yeah, terms of true. toxic uh, fandoms, of which there are a lot, mm -hmm. uh, I, I really, it's interesting to me yeah. that the horror community is a group of people that Almost without fail, you know, one finds uh, them to be compassionate, kind, thoughtful, often politically progressive mm -hmm. people. And, and, and I think that, uh, and, and it's interesting because for so long, that thinking back to, you know, the 1980s, for example, when you, you know, some, something, a, a teacher was likely to think something was wrong with you if, you know, you got caught with your famous monsters or, or Fangoria magazine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yet, you know, honestly, like uh, the, the most well-adjusted people I know are, are, are huge horror fans. Yeah. And then when you find someone that a friend or a partner that, accepts that part of you it feels like a deeper acceptance than others like maybe superficial things like you know like one of the first gifts that my fiance ever got me was this giant poster of john carpenter's the thing uh -huh. and she also got me so you know like the babadook got really popular with like the shipping the babadook is gay and stuff like that yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, before that, you couldn't find any merchandise. Yeah. <laughs> and The Babadook is one of my favorite recent horror films. She got me on Etsy from Russia a handmade Babadook <laughs> before there was merchandise. Oh my and gosh, that's so awesome. cute. And I'm like, you freaking get me, you awesome person. <laughs> that's That's great. No, actually for one year for Valentine's Day, <laughs> Um, my, my husband got me the full Friday the 13th box set mm. and, um, and he, and I opened it. And of course, like, I'm absolutely thrilled. And he's like, and it's red for Valentine's day. <laughs> 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 oh man. Yeah. Prize possession right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When someone accepts that part of you, you know, you just feel seen. Right. Do you have any favorite monsters? Ones that particularly mean something to you or that is just your damn favorite. Cause it's amazing. Oh, I have. Oh, well, I already talked about Medusa a lot. So, like, mm -hmm. she's she's my she's my foundational one. Oh my gosh, I love, just love monsters. This is, um, this is a really hard one. Um, it's okay. There are only right answers. So, <laughs> well, uh, the Xenomorph uh, from Alien. Mm -hmm. I love her so mm -hmm. much. Oh my gosh, the Queen is. Oh, she's my queen. And the design is like. Uh, so gosh, she's so beautiful, and how she changes over the course of the franchise. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, I love that monster. Mm -hmm. Um, but also I love Hannibal Lecter. I'm really, I love him. I, it's so creepy. I don't know why. And I just keep going back to it cause I'm just trying to figure out what my fascination is with this guy, but he doesn't like rude people. And I, do like, <laughs> I think that might be it. And I, I love the revenge. Oh, I'm you're rude to me. I'm going to eat you. I love that. He's like, he's a cannibal, but if someone throws like excrement or is ogre, he's like, Clarice, I'm so sorry. I will destroy that guy for you. I'm like, oh, yes. Yeah. What a chivalrous cannibal. He's definitely the most cultured cannibal of cinema. I don't know. I'm fascinated with him. I was always fascinated with him, too. I, I get that because there's sort of the interesting uh, combination of um, the, 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 the viciousness and, and the sophistication. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like so many of the best monsters, you've 
you, you don't want him to get caught. Yeah. Um, you, mm-hmm. you are sort of rooting for him, which yeah. is kind of an interesting exploration of oneself. <laughs> I know. I know. Dexter is another one of my favorites. I love right? Oh, Dexter. He, so I don't know. I think for, like for me, maybe like monsters have something to do with justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that Dexter, you know, he's got his code and he's, yeah, he's a serial killer. I know it's terrible. But he's going and killing bad people, and they're the ones that are slipping through the justice system. And our justice system works too slowly, anyway. So, mm-hmm. and he does his research, and he does for most of it. For most, uh, yeah, you know, it's a little spotty sometimes. He goes off the rails toward the end, but um, you know, he he is tra- so traumatized by the end of the show. Um, but I think maybe that's uh, that's all between him and 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 Hannibal. Um, I think it's like the kind of justice aspect is something that really appeals to me with them which is odd because like most of the monsters i like are are very feminized Interesting. Yeah. medusa the the xenomorph mm-hmm. um but then like the the dudes that i'm really into are like really bad <laughs> so, i don't know how this works well i'm not taking an official official freudian stance so i'm not going to do too deep of interrogation <laughs> yeah let's, let's, let's dig into that for an hour next, next okay. time we can do that next time what about you scott <laughs> In some ways, this is easy for me, but at the same time, I, I, I just share the feeling that oh, I have ten that I want to name. I'm yeah, going to pick yeah. two. Okay. Um, one, and you know, anybody who's ever listened to me talk or uh, read my stuff knows this: that I have a, a kind of lifelong obsession with um, Elsa Lanchester's Bride in um, mm-hmm. awesome. Wales, Frankenstein. Oh uh, yeah. And uh, and part of that yeah. is it was a couple of things. One is that that's a that's an incredibly beautiful film, um, mm-hmm. sort of this it horror is. fairy tale comedy. Yeah. And yeah. then there's just sort of the mystery and the tragedy of her character. I mean, we you know we we don't really see her until the last ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit like Medusa, she has this. Um, strange beauty that mm-hmm. um is uh i mean she is sort of this image of of death and beauty all at mm-hmm. once yes uh, yes you know, the lanchester is uh, of course a a, a a a very attractive woman but mm-hmm. you know the makeup that that jack pierce puts together get you know makes her you know deeply scarred and um yeah. and 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 we know also what she is so mm-hmm. and I, I also just think that just as a I'm actually staring at a movie poster uh, of her, <laughs> of her right okay. now. One of the many representations of the Bride of Frankenstein sitting around me, but, but nice. um, yeah, she uh, uh, she has, has has always intrigued me in part because of the the sadness and the tragedy and just the whole you know kind yeah. of strangeness of the story. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the other is this this uh, I I have kind of a I, I mean I uh, American history is my thing but I I do have kind of a side interest in um in 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 Japanese history and and culture and so oh cool I'm a big yokai uh, fan and and one of my my favorites um is is and I, I i don't remember and wouldn't even try to pronounce the 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 japanese pronunciation but um she's a relatively new yokai uh known as the the slit-mouthed woman mm, whoa and um it's it it's kind of she she kind of emerged as sort of urban folklore or urban legend in the 1960s and 70s and um, 
the the story was it's it's really creepy the story was a woman would uh and and this is just kind of unintentionally contemporary a woman wearing a mask uh-huh. uh, as of course this has long been common in the asian world uh, yeah. a woman wearing a mask uh, walks up to a young man on the street and asks uh do, do you think i'm pretty and Actually, no matter how he answers this question, uh, she pulls off the mask and um, she has this sort of horrible um, scarred mouth. Um, kind of vagina dentata. Yeah, um, dig it. <laughs> and it's, it, it's, it's interesting to me. I mean, uh, there was a film made about it in, in, in the 90s that I like a lot that, that is simply called Carved. That, that oh wow i haven't seen that one okay it's a japanese film and, oh, okay um, it, it 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 gives her a backstory in which you know essentially this is a, a is a medusa like figure right. um who has returned to seek vengeance after being you know a, a, abused and assaulted in Wow. Life. But I, I've just always been just kind of just kind of fascinated with her and, and kind of with that idea. It it's obviously feeds into a lot of issues in, in the Japanese social context. In the, yeah. in the period she emerged, there was a lot of discussion about culturally sanctioned sexual harassment of right. women in public, women on mm-hmm. the subway, uh, that that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and so just, you know, the idea, even the question, do you think I'm pretty that there's no right answer to, yeah. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. is, and, and, and this, this is this kind of vengeful spirit born out of, out of social and domestic, uh, turmoil. It's just, just really, wow. so I, I guess those are, I, I would say those are mm-hmm. sort of my two favorite stories, but it's hard to. Yeah, it's hard to say. Oh, there's so oh, many. Oh, that's a cool one. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look her up. Me too. Because um, I I don't know anything about that. Oh, awesome. The uh, I I I feel terrible because I'm forgetting his name. But the author of uh, it, it's simply called the Book of Yokai. Okay, is, is where I encountered her, and, and he's written. Oh. I feel really bad because he's written several excellent books about um, Japanese Japanese folklore. Cool. I'm going to find that. The Slip Mouse Woman and, and the movie Carved. Wow. Fantastic. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, I'll try and link people to it as well. Yeah. Awesome. And then uh, real quick, because I know you have to go. Um, probably my two favorites are The Babadook. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I picked up on awesome. that. <laughs> I just love it. It's like richness as like a manifestation of grief and uh-huh. yeah. it's complexity and yeah, how you can never yeah. really get rid of it, but you can just, it's like this old Buddhist parable about how instead of rejecting emotions, invite them to sort of sit beside you. Exactly. You know, yeah. where like you can never yeah. really tell grief to, to completely just heal like a wound. You just have to kind mm-hmm. of invite it so it becomes this harmless version of itself that you can live with. Exactly, yeah. It's it's a great yeah. representation of that. And then I always oh, go back is. to the thing as well. Oh, okay. That's, okay, cool. That's probably my favorite monster movie of all time. Oh, okay, yeah. classic. For many reasons, many reasons. One of which being, it's so particularly terrifying because you don't know what it is and it could be everything. Yeah. And you don't know if it's you. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, like, yeah. would you even know the characters in the film have no idea if they would even know if it was them or not? I know that's, and yeah. we never, we never actually find out. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. yep, yep. It's like the futility and the ambiguity are. It's terrifying, mm-hmm. absolutely terrifying. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, oh. So much more to say. So um, much, yeah. But to to respect your time, um, I'll say that wraps up this episode. Uh, and both of you obviously are always invited on. So just to uh, to just reiterate, fans of the show can find us on Spotify and iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at uh, HFT Deep Dive. And I also encourage everyone to purchase for Sazine, American mm-hmm. Monsters, Crime Rave, and for Scott. I can personally say that Monsters in America is an amazing book. So amazing. So amazing. Everyone should just buy it right now yeah. and be happy. Yeah. And Wasteland, I, I purchased last night and I'm waiting for it and I look forward to it. Yep. Same here. Well, thank Same you here. Very much. Thanks. Once more, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening. From the dawn of recorded human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares. They've been our protectors and our villains. They've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization, the need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. (laughs) 